0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
1: Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms to be encouraged, nurtured, and inspired. Also, you'll learn the latest in teen research and trends and get practical parenting tips. You really can improve your relationship with your teen and enjoy the teenage years. Welcome back to the 129th episode of Power Your Parenting Moms of Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. It's September. And a whole new school year is before us. And if this seems daunting to you, I get you, mom. I am here to support you. I'm so excited because September 27th, I will start my Power Your Parenting program. And this is for an intimate group of like-minded moms. We'll meet together for seven weeks. Every day, you'll get a lesson, encouragement from me, and once a week, You'll be coached by me with other like-minded moms. On September 13th, I will open up the cart. It will definitely sell out because I limit the size so that I can really get to know each of you. If you're interested, you can email me at Colleen at doll Down the Drama or go to my website and email me from there. This is really one of the most Favorite things I do because I get to know you, my listeners. So are your teens staying up too late and having a hard time getting out of bed in the morning? Are they irritable when you tell them that they have to go to bed? Especially when you say, I need your phones. Are they falling asleep in their classes or when they're doing their homework? Probably so. But having a rested teen is a huge way to dial down drama so in this episode i have invited an expert dr chris winter to be on the show dr winter is a neurologist and sleep specialist who has been in the field of sleep science since 1992 he is double board certified in sleep medicine and sees adults and kids in his clinical practice in addition to working with numerous professional sports organizations Including the 2020 World Series champion Los Angeles Dodgers. He is the author of two books on sleep. The first one, The Sleep Solution Why Your Sleep is Broken and How to Fix It. And he recently released The Rested Child Why Your Tired, Wired, or Irritable Child May Have a Sleep Disorder and How to Help. He currently lives in Charlottesville. Virginia. So welcome, Dr. Wenner.
0: Thank you for having me. It's a a pleasure to be on your show, Colleen.
1: Oh, yes. So you have a new book out. You want to say what the title is and what prompted you to write it?
0: Sure. So yeah, so I can say I've written books plural now, which is really exciting. (laughs) Uh, My new book is called The Rested Child, Why You're Tired, wired or irritable child may have a sleep disorder and how to help. I wrote it for two reasons. One is I'm a neurologist, but I just specialize in sleep. So my clinical practice is just seeing adults and kids and help them with sleep problems. And so reason number one was there were a lot of kids in my practice of late, like as I've looked over the years, it's definitely increasing quickly. The second reason was when I was talking to my literary agent and publisher about it, I said, I think I'd like to write a book about kids. In fact, I really wanted to write that one first. Um, And for other reasons, the other one came about um, prior to this one. And and their response was kind of like, okay, but, you know, there's a lot of books about kids and sleep out there. And I said, you know, it's interesting you said that, because I don't think that there are I said, I'm guessing what you're referring to is there's a lot of books out there about how to get your baby to sleep through the night and take a good nap and, you know, scheduled feedings, demand feeding, you know, whatnot. And, and, and they said, yeah, is that that's what you're talking about? Right. I said, no, no, no. I want to write a book about the sleep disorders that affect kids from the time they're born until they, you know, head off to college. And, and these are some of the most missed diagnoses or misdiagnosed disorders out there. And I just felt like they didn't really have a voice. It's kind of like once you got your kids sleeping through the night and wearing clothes that didn't snap in the crotch, like you were done. Like you had no (laughs) sleep problems to worry about, you know, and, and I really felt like nothing could be further from the truth. And then these disorders, because they get missed so much, this idea that, well, even if I'm not aware of them, there's a medical safety net out there that will figure it out if my daughter or son is struggling in some way. And that's really not, not the case. And so rather than kind of messing around with, you know, parents or or schools or educators or medical professionals, let's just just go right to the parents and educate them, let them be the advocates for their own children.
1: No, I love that. Uh, It's a really good book. And I work with lots of tweens and teens, as you know, And sleep is a huge problem. So, we will dive into this. But what I like about your book is you have good stories. Stories are always good. I like how you organize it and you give a little bit of background on some of the sleep disorders or sleep issues. And then you give some kind of where we are now. And then you give really practical advice, which I appreciate. So, the first question is, I know this has impacted sleep in lots of different ways, but how has the pandemic changed the sleep of teens?
0: That's a great question. Um, It's changed it a lot Um, and, and not necessarily in bad ways. So I will start off by saying that there is a sort of ongoing debate in this country about school start times. Are we giving our kids adequate time to sleep? Um, and the pandemic has sort of created this accidental experiment of what happens mm. if we eliminate bus rides and commutes and leave a lot of parents home to work and let kids log on to their first class around 9:30. and oh by the way if your kid's a swimmer or your kid rose in the morning we're going to cancel all those things so even if they want to do their preschool activities or you know sports we're not gonna allow them to do it. So your child really has no nothing to do except for sleep. And it's really been in some ways positive for kids. They're sleeping not only more, but they're also sleeping during times when they naturally want to do it. I mean, anybody who works with teens or has them of their own, will know that they're not necessarily excited about getting up at 5.30 in the morning to do anything. They'd rather get up around noon and kind of saunter out of their bedrooms and make themselves a sandwich and go right back to their bedrooms. <laughs> so if you have a question you need to ask you you gotta grab them during that sandwich making situation because otherwise you won't see them. So, so there have been some positives for some of the kids that we have in our clinic that deal with disorders of hypersomnia. They're always tired that extra flexibility, that extra sleep, the ability to sneak a little nap in between your first and second Zoom period classes has been positive. I I think the flip side has been the sort of the overwhelming negatives of massive amounts of anxiety and uncertainty, um, and also sort of losing the structure that school provides. Okay, every five out of seven days, you will catch the bus at this time. You will have a calculus first period with Mrs. Ankrum every day this at this time. You will have lunch with your peers and sit around and talk about the football game coming up Friday night and you know what's going on in your lives every day at this time. So that structure is really helpful, particularly to young people who are sort of developing that sense of schedule and circadian rhythm with their sleep. All of a sudden, that was gone. You know, you just kind of existed in your bedroom on a computer, trying to log in and take your classes virtually. And um, and, and that, that was a very big disruption to a lot of kids. And now as they're going back to school for the first time, in some cases in almost two years, it has been a massive, massive adjustment for a lot of children, My, mine included.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. So what are the ages of your kids?
0: So I have a 17 year old high school senior Mm -hmm. Uh, I have a 19-year-old second-year student, although they call them uh, third class uh, at the Naval Academy, and a daughter who just graduated from the University of Virginia, so she's 22. So 17, 19, 20,
1: 17, 19, 22. Great. So you're not only talking about clinically- Teens and tweens oh, in your practice.
0: 2022. God, I'm so embarrassed when I get the ages of my kids wrong. <laughs> 17, 20, 22. Sorry about that. There we go.
1: That's okay. Sorry about, sorry about yeah. That. So you've experienced how teenagers sleep and all of that personally, also.
0: Absolutely, and it is a tough, tough. You know, writing this book. The first book was easy. I'm writing it as a, as a doctor. When you write the book about kids, you often find yourself kind of moving down the pathway of parent, Chris and less about, you know, Dr. Winter. And and I think that we have to be very careful about that. But no, I think raising teenagers to be healthy sleepers is a Herculean task in 2021.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. So let's talk about sleep deprivation in teens, and how that manifests in teens besides just being sleepy.
0: That's really the point, isn't it? Um, that if if teens looked like our grandparents when they were sleepy, we'd have no trouble figuring these things out. They would walk into their AP US history class and they would, you know, sit down and, and put their feet up and they would start to do the head nod and your parents, your teachers would figure that out and call the parents and say your son comes into my class every day and puts his feet up and falls asleep on the couch and denies it when we, when we tell him that he's he was falling asleep and. That would be easy, but you know, teens are they have a couple things going for them. Number one is they're teens; they're young, and and to borrow an analogy from Doctor Singh, who's this fantastic sleep doctor up in Indianapolis, he describes young people like new cars. You can drive them roughly, you can you know abuse them, and they still perform fantastically, even though you're quietly wrecking them, you know, slowly you know they have that capacity to sort of absorb bad behaviors and still perform well. I work a lot with athletes and this is a big issue with them is that I'm sitting there I'm 5 foot 8 clearly not a professional basketball player and I'm trying to tell somebody who's making what 28 million dollars a year you really need to pay attention to your sleep and get <laughs> in bed a little bit earlier and watch out for the alcohol or else bad things will happen. Well nothing bad has happened. They have risen to the top of their sport and they're looking at me like what are you talking about? I'm the best player on this team. Why do you want me to go to bed before 3am? It's, it's really about, well, you are now, but how are you going to look in five or 10 years? And it's about, you know, trying to tell a teenager, you're doing something now that's going to impact your health in the future is a tough, is a tough conversation to have. It's all about, yes, but will it affect me before Friday night? You know, like is, is really kind of what they're asking you. So you know, I think that that when you look at the mental health of teenagers, when you look at their physical health, when you look at their diagnoses of things like anxiety, depression, ADHD, these things have direct relationships to the way they sleep. And I'm sure these are things that you see in your clinic as well, too. Yeah. Um, you know, sleep can be a sign of a lot of things that are going on beneath the surface of a child. So you know, the problem is when you talk to kids or even talk to parents, you know, they'll say things like, well, as long as I'm in bed by two, I get up at eight, that's six hours. As long as I get my six, I'm fine. And there's a difference between being fine and being functional. Quite, they can be quite functional. Um, and, and you can see this reflected sometimes in your own kids. My oldest, uh, my daughter, definitely can, can seemingly thrive on small amounts of sleep. And, and, and while that can be a real tool, I'm not sure it's a great one to have that you if you don't recognize what it is over a long period of time. When I looked around my medical school class, I, they were wonderful people and super smart. But I, I didn't see brilliance as much as I saw horsepower. Oh, wow. These people can stay up all night in a hospital or studying. And go right on the next day having only gotten two hours of sleep if they you know they'll take a 30 minute nap in a library or something and like they just their stamina was incredible so you always look at high school graduations and think are these the brightest kids that have got the little honor stole or whatever, are they the ones that can deal with sleep deprivation the best. Um, yeah. which is always kind of an interesting theory. So, but anyway, yeah. So I, I can't imagine a condition or a concern that a parent might have about a child that you couldn't directly relate in some way to inadequate sleep.
1: Yeah. Well, my first book is called dial down the drama. So what I see for sure is there's a direct correlation between lack of sleep and drama. Oh God. Yes. <laughs>
0: I'm going to call from my, my son's in school, right? He's a senior in high school. If he were here, we could have a good talk about that. Absolutely. Yes, 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 yes. Why are, we, we had an argument the other day about school nurses not being real nurses. I'm like, of course you're real nurses. Why don't you, you know? If I was like, you're tired, you're irritable, go to bed, and we'll discuss the merits of school nursing tomorrow when you're in a little bit more of a lucid. But yeah, I mean, it was the most dramatic. If you walk in on that conversation, like, what are they kidding about? School nurses, not being, there's people (laughs) off the street that come in and say, I want to administer medications (laughs) to children. Okay, well, you're hired.
1: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so that's one of the first things I always ask with my families and teens and tweens and whatever is like, as I ask about sleep, because I do know that they're going to be a lot more vulnerable to depression or anxiety if they don't sleep. Can, Can you talk about why that's true?
0: Absolutely. So, you know, when you think about the the biochemistry of mood disturbances, when you think about the biochemistry of drama, and I'd, I'd like to know how you define drama. That's an interesting word. It's a very appropriate word. But all these neurochemicals that we talk about, dopamine and serotonin, are all directly related to the way we sleep. So our emotional capacities are so diminished when we are not getting either adequate amounts of sleep or adequate quality sleep. You know, there's kids out there who are sleeping 10, 11, 12 hours. If you, know, so you talk to their parents, oh, you know, Keith is getting a ton of sleep, but he always seems tired. He always seems irritable and moody. So not only is there a direct relationship between sleep quality and quantity and our mood, But there's also a real direct relationship between inadequate quality and quantity of sleep and being misdiagnosed with something. So imagine a child who's got something like narcolepsy. They're always sleepy. There's a failure of the chemicals in their brain to keep them awake. If you talk to the parent, what's going on with your son? Well, he gets home from school. He'll usually take about a three-hour nap. He wakes up. He tries to do some homework, get a little dinner, and then he goes right back to sleep again. And on the weekends, he'll sleep almost, he'll never even come out of his room. He just sleeps and wakes up to feed himself. He quit playing baseball, which he used to love. His grades are slipping. And that kind of sounds like, you know, this kid's depressed, um, which it could be, um, but he could also be just tragically sleepy and trying to satisfy a need that he's never going to fix by sleeping because there's something fundamentally wrong with his sleep. Mm. So Mm. your question sort of relates to true mood disturbances with people who have problems sleeping, but also problems sleeping, looking like mood disturbances that aren't real, which is a real satisfying thing as a doctor to treat something like that. And all of a sudden the, the child or the parents are coming back saying, well, not only is he more awake and not having to take this three hour nap, but his mood and anxiety levels never been better, right? Because he probably wasn't depressed to begin with, although being sleepy all the time is kind of depressing. You know, when you want to go out with your friends, you want to do fun things like play baseball, but you're too tired to do it.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. Can you talk about sleep need and sleep debt? Like how much sleep does a teen need and what's the ideal time to make up that sleep debt?
0: So this is a great question, and it's debated. Um, So my guess is if you're listening to this and you listen to other podcasts, you could hear answers that are slightly different. So I just kind of want to recognize that. So what a sleep debt is, every child um, and every adult, for that matter, out there has a specific need for sleep in terms of how much sleep you need, maybe when your preference is to get it. You can get eight hours by going to bed at midnight and getting up at eight. You could also go to bed at nine and get up at five. Both of those give you eight hours, but one's a little bit earlier than the other. So when you look at all these different characteristics of sleep, they're all genetic. We, they, they're inherited from our parents, just like our eye color, hair color things, you know, strong chin, attached earlobes, all these things are genetic. Um, so when you're looking at that in a child, Um, the first thing we have to understand is, well, how much does my child need? Because the range of sleep need in children is vast, meaning that if you have, you know, a little infant and your best friend had a baby about the same time you did, there could be a difference as much as eight hours between how much your child needs and how much this other child who's about the same age as yours needs. So Hmm. we don't understand that we can make choices in terms of their schedules that can be problematic. So once you understand sort of how much sleep your child needs, then the question becomes, are they getting it? So if your child needs 10 hours of sleep every 24 hours and is only getting eight, they're acquiring a sleep debt. So Monday night, they slept eight hours, but they really needed 10. They have a two-hour sleep debt. Tuesday night, the same thing. Well, now the debt's four hours. So I always think of it as like a credit card. And so the debate comes, and we're sort of... Going into sort of maybe opinion and rather a fact, is the debate is some people think that you can never repay a sleep debt. Other people think that you can repay it, but in a very short period of time. I'm sure there's people out there saying, no, no, this is ridiculous. You can always repay a sleep debt. So th- that's really the the, the question. I, I tend to believe that you can repay it, but it needs to happen within a relatively short period of time. So for instance, uh, an individual who has a difficult night, two tests and a paper due on Wednesday, so they're up pretty late Tuesday. They've acquired some sort of sleep debt. I think as long as that child repays the debt within the next six to seven days, within the next week, I think they're okay. So maybe instead of looking at it as your child needing 10 hours a night, it might be more appropriate to say, my child needs 70 hours a week. So to me, we have a little built-in credit card. I think it's un- unnatural and ridiculous to think that we're always going to get a perfect night of sleep every night for the rest of our lives. I think our, sort of like food, like we need a certain number of calories and nutrition every day, but sometimes we don't get it. And, and, and our bodies can bounce back from that. You know, we're, I don't know, lost in the woods for 24 hours. Like <laughs> we can survive, you know, or whatever. Yes, um, yes. So I, I think that our bodies are like that with sleep. So to answer your question, I would say, you know, you encourage your children not to abuse it. It's like a credit card. Look, this is here in case you have something that you have to buy, like a transmission in your car and you cannot afford it. So buy it and let's pay off the debt very quickly. So I don't want people relying on that. Oh, I can just stay up as late as I want because I can make it up at some point in the future. So let's just go out and have a great time tonight. I don't think that's a good idea. So we as parents need to always be encouraging good sleep. You know, Hey, what's your homework situation like? I know you don't have practice tonight, so this might be a good night for you to get good sleep. And then when, the, when it kind of goes sideways, I think that we need to help our kids kind of figure out what is the plan going to be for making up that sleep, maybe go to bed a little bit earlier the next night, um, would it be okay for you to have early release because you don't have anything going on last two, last two periods and take a little nap at home? Um, I think most teenagers are looking at weekend sleep as the place where they kind of make that up. And again, I think that's okay. It's better than nothing. So I think we as parents just need to kind of maybe back off a little bit on these types of things, try to get them, you know, making sure that they're staying up late for what I would consider to be somewhat legitimate reasons and not because you've gotten further in your game than you ever have. And you don't want the, the Minecraft situation to end you know, <laughs> just because it's 1 a.m. So, so I think that always being kind of mindful and also as parents, we want to model that as well too, that we're always trying to get our sleep when we can. I always tell my athletes, you are now a sleep camel meaning that if you're traveling around the country playing NBA games, when you see the opportunity to sleep, take it. Because the sleep you're getting early in the season will come back to really pay off as the season, you know, later in the season or in the playoffs.
1: I think that's really great advice and super practical because our teens often will have a lot of homework on one night and have to get that work done. And it is unrealistic for them to go to bed you know, earlier to get that work done. And parents can kind of feel this pull between, I want them to do well in their grades, but they need their sleep. What should I do? And it it seems like teenagers forever have intuitively known that we'll just sleep late on the weekends. Like, I think they know that intuitively. So I think parents, if you're listening, your kid is not lazy if they want to sleep late. Just like, That's a good thing. They're catching up, so I really like this idea. And I think for me, the one week makes sense because I've seen so many teens in my practice. I've seen if it carries over a couple more weeks, they're they're just toast. It it seems like they can pull it together in one week, but if if they've had two super hard weeks with no sleep and they've been out of town for a volleyball, blah blah blah, and and then that's where they get super irritable and depressed and snap at their parents. So I like that.
0: It's tough. I mean, it's a difficult thing to balance. I think parents and kids and schools all shoulder some responsibility. I mean, as a parent, I would ask my kids like, wow, you've got, you know, you're staying up so late doing these assignments. You really needed to be better organized about them. Like, and they would often say things like, no, 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 we just got these assignments within the last day or two. And I I, I swear, I thought for years they were lying. Oh, come on. Like no teacher gives you a two-page paper that's due the next day. And they do. So I remember one time some kids were over and they were talking about it. I'm like, when do you all get these? Oh, she just gives us the assignment that day and it's due the next day, two pages, right? Boom. There's like, right? And 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 the, the communication sometimes between other teachers, right? So it's like it's the it's feast or famine. You know what's good, what do you got homework today? Nothing. Anything you could be working on to prepare yourself because I know you have that big game in a couple of days. No, we don't really have anything. And then suddenly Thursday night they're up until one o'clock in the morning, doing. Why can't we spread it out? And I think the school system they're in tried to introduce some sort of program. Where the teachers put in the homework and if too much was going into one day, it like turned red or something so they were kind of more aware of it but it's a tough situation and a lot of schools have these policies like well if your kids overloaded just let us know and you will excuse them. But it doesn't really stop the conveyor belt from. I remember having this conversation with my daughter one time. I said, "Sweetheart, it is one thirty. I can't believe you're still working on this driver's ed poster." I'll never forget. <laughs> but now, now, in the school's defense, she was making it so that the lights functionally work. I'm like I think you're going way overboard with this assignment. But whatever. Some kids are like that. I said, "Go to bed. I'm going to call the school and say that this was, you know." And she said, "Please don't, because they'll excuse it, but it won't keep." the work from coming. So in the book, I talk about it's like Lucy and Ethel with the chocolate conveyor belt and the boss saying, anytime you want to take a break, just stop working. It only works if the boss turns the conveyor belt off. And that's often not what happens. So you can excuse them from that work. And the next night they have to finish that work and do the new work that's now been and and they've got a soccer game that night or whatever. So it's just a tough, tough situation.
1: Yeah, I've seen that a thousand times. Exactly. You have. And you know, and it's
0: interesting because you think that's a kid problem. It's a parent problem. I have way more, and we're pretty relaxed about stuff, but I just this feeling of, you know, when the kids get sick and then they get behind, you, you're like, oh my gosh, you're taking two makeup quizzes today, but I've had my real quiz and so, it's just a source of parental anxiety, too. I mean, it's you yes, know, for sure. I really want to know about it. And I get these great updates. Your child has a zero in all of his classes. And you're like, <laughs> I go to dad, it's because my teacher hasn't updated it. And you're like, okay. So, what's the point of this? Just to make me freak out that you're failing all your classes. <laughs> I get the alerts like during my day. Oh, no.
1: <laughs> yes, those online grade things is responsible for lots of drama. Uh, yeah, there we go. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So I was also very interested. You were talking about kind of this interplay between ADHD and sleep, where a lot of times we think that ADHD causes sleep difficulties. And yet you believe that sleep difficulties can cause ADHD in teens.
0: Can you talk about that? Sure. And, uh, you know, I always like when, when we bring this topic up, I do believe it this is not my original thought. So this is a thought of many sleep researchers who've come before um, that don't ever seem to get the traction that I think that their voices should get. Uh, Mary Karskaden is a, a, a retired sleep researcher and brilliant sleep person up at Brown University, and she's been beating this drum forever. So um, yeah, no, I do think that you know, and you see it, Um, what does a child who is getting inadequate sleep for a couple of weeks look like? You know, drama is a great word. You know, they're emotionally volatile, um, they're upset easily. Um, Kids, when you think about hunger and thirst, you know, pain to some degree, suffocation, these, these are feelings of discomfort that our bodies use to tell us that something's wrong. You know, my foot is suddenly uncomfortable as I look down and see I've dropped something on it or I haven't eaten in a while so my body sends an uncomfortable message that makes me think that I should go seek some food and sleep's like that. And it's really, I think, uncomfortable for children. And so instead of just kind of putting your head back and taking a nap while you're learning, you know, difference between a consonant and a vowel when you're little it becomes something that a lot of kids want to fight. Parents tell you that all the time. My kids fight sleep. Or what does your kid look like at night when you've spent a little too much time, you know, visiting your in-laws and you get home at, you know, midnight and you've got a 2 and a 5-year-old and they wouldn't sleep in the car going home and now you're home trying to get them in bed. I mean, they're literally running around with, you know, their clothes on their head, naked, <laughs> won't brush your teeth and like if you were to take a snapshot of that, you would think this doesn't look like a tired three and five-year-old. They look the opposite of tired. And so for a lot of kids, they kind of fight that feeling. And when you're looking at a school situation, it's the child, you know, tapping his pencil on his desk like a drum. And the teacher says, please stop doing that, Stephen. And he stops for a second and he goes right back to doing it. Or he pulls the hair of the girl sitting next to him, or he won't you know, settle, and he's always blurting out something. I mean, it's a kid that's actually fighting the urge to sleep. And so when he gets in trouble or sent to the principal, that's exactly what his brain needed. I'm going to fall asleep if we keep talking about clouds or consonants. But if you send me to the principal and get angry at me now, this is, this is weight promoting. And so it's interesting when you think about these hyperactive kids that The treatments for them that work are often stimulants. You would think, well, the last thing you'd want to give a kid is Ritalin or Adderall in that situation, right? Because they're already banging on the drum and pulling the hair of the girl next to them. Don't we want to settle them? But when you give them these medications, you often, I've got a whole little file full of notes I've gotten from parents or teachers that said, ever since you started treating this child, he is or she's totally different in school. And the problem with ADHD is that the treatments that we use, like a stimulant, will probably work in the sense that your child's behavior from your teacher's perspective or your own will probably get better. And so instead of patting ourselves on the back, we did it. We figured it out. Your child has ADHD. He meets all the criteria. We gave him medication. He's doing much better now. Was it? It could be, it could be, but it could also be that your child is just really, really sleepy for some reason. And now we're giving him a medication to make him or her feel less sleepy during the day. So I personally don't believe any child should be diagnosed with ADHD without at least talking to a sleep specialist. And what's the worst that can happen? Your child's sleep is perfect. That guy that you listen to on the podcast, ignore him. (laughs) Your sleep, your child's sleep is wonderful. At least you can move forward as a parent knowing Okay, well, this very common cause of attention problems is not what's going on here. And we all feel it. I mean, just stay up all night tonight and go do something that's kind of mission critical at work that requires a lot of critical thinking and concentration and see how bad you are at it. It's not hard to fail an ADHD test. Just stay up for a few (laughs) nights um, and, 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 you know, give it it a shot. I mean, my concentration (laughs) diminishes very quickly after just, you know, an 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 adequate amount of sleep, like four hours a night. We know that you make three times as many mental errors after two or three nights of restricted sleep as you do if you get your full amount of sleep. So these
1: are not new concepts. So you are A much better learner if you get adequate sleep
0: which is always funny when you talk about an all-nighter you know like (laughs) art history you got to memorize 30 paintings the dates and the artists and so I'm going to stay up all night and do that and there's fantastic research about they would teach somebody a little piano part that was really simple and then let them sleep and then ask them to repeat it over and over and see how many mistakes they made and versus the people who would do it and then stay up all night and get tested at the same time and you know sleep always helps memory one of the little things I always told my kids or or my patients I didn't put it in the book is that every night you should go to bed thinking about in your mind something that you're working on like you can't remember order of operations or you can't remember the capital of Vermont Like, think about the capital of Vermont, make sure you've got the right capital. And think (laughs) about that as you're falling asleep. That does two things. Number one, our brain loves to sort and organize information at night. It's very important. And number two, you give your child something to work on that's not fall asleep or you're going to fail your state capitals test. It's like three days, four days before the test. Okay, Montpelier. Okay, good night. What you think about Montpelier? Okay, think about how you it. we always had to spell them too. That was the worst. Like, okay, think about and spell Montpelier five times before you allow yourself to fall asleep tonight. And it's amazing how when you get kids in that habit of that memory consolidation with sleep, it really, really helps.
1: Oh, that's great. All right, so let's talk about circadian issues in teens or sleep timing, and what a phase-delayed chronotype is? And when does that become a disorder?
0: That's a, it's a great question. That last question is really good. So a phase-delayed chronotype is a fancy way of saying your son or daughter is a night owl. Um, so, and and it's important because when you go to talk to the school or the school counselor or the administrator, in terms of getting your child in a certain schedule, I want you to use phase delayed chronotype because I promise you that administrator, that counsel say, I'm not sure what you mean by that. Oh, well. (laughs) I mean that I've scientifically evaluated my child and determined that they have a phase-delayed circadian rhythm. So I would like for their calculus class to be at the end of the day and not at the beginning of the day, because I think that's when she's going to perform her best in that math class. So you can give yourself a little bit of weight. And there's some assessments in the book about how to really evaluate yourself or your children to figure out where you are on that scale. And it's always really interesting. But For most teens, this is a generalization, may not be considering or uh, describing your own teen, is that they tend to be more phase delayed. They tend to like to go to bed late and stay up late and get up late. So like you said earlier, child emerging from their bedroom at noon is not lazy. That's kind of what they're genetically programmed to do. Grandparents are kind of the opposite. You head on down to you know Sarasota, Florida, and spend some time with them, and like you hear the NutriBullet at 4 a.m. You're like, what are you doing? It's dark. <laughs> well, this is what we do. We go to bed early. We get up early now. So you're like, oh, God. this is why I don't come to Sarasota four uh, months year. Uh, cause you're in sleep. So yeah. So watch out for grandparents and teens doing a trip themselves. Grandpa's going to take the teens, you know, the grandkids on a fun trip. Like that can be going South very quickly. You're going to call from your grandpa gets up at 4.00 AM every day and expects us to go on a hike with them, you know, whatever. Um, so you might want to work out that ahead of time, But but huh? these are natural rhythms. And we just want to be aware of them for two reasons. Number one, it can affect when they're academically at their best. So we think that most young people academically or intellectually peak around three or four o'clock in the afternoon. Now that's usually when school's out. So your kid is going to do best on his algebra test probably after he gets off the bus, which is unfortunate. The other reason to be aware of it is these are things that can be changed. However, they do require a fair amount of participation from the student or the child. So... We see that a lot, two parents bring a kid in, I talk about in the book, and you can tell the kid doesn't really want to be in my clinic. Like mom and dad are really stressed out because he doesn't go to bed till three o'clock in the morning, he wakes up at five o'clock in the afternoon on the weekends, and it's a real chore to get him up and make sure he's at school on time. So they want to fix that and we can absolutely, but not if the child doesn't want to fix it. Um, That becomes very difficult. So when it becomes a disorder, I think is exactly that. If somebody says, look, our kids are real night owl, but we've got some workarounds here. Um, he has study hall first period, gym class second period, which helps to kind of activate him. We make sure he kind of makes things up on the weekends. And on the summertime, he, he allows his schedule to drift out a little bit later because he mows lawns for a living and it doesn't really have to be up early to do it. He just needs to get it done. Great. There's some adults that never transition out of that. Magazine writers man, they are night owls, they don't (laughs) care. They just need to get their article in by 5 p.m. on Friday, doesn't matter when they write it. If you're a school teacher, that probably won't work quite as well. So it's interesting how our chronotypes tend to push us into certain careers or away from others. So I think it becomes a disorder when you feel like your child is suffering because of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And and there are things that can be done, but like I said, you need that buy-in from the kid to really make, make, make it work.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. So in your chapter on technology, I was especially interested in how understanding light can either help wake you up or it can cause you to stay up. And why does blue light make it so hard to sleep?
0: That's a great question. We kind of vilify light now. You know, the computer, yeah. and the light, the blue, green light, it's terrible. Yes, it's terrible right before you go to bed. Um, I don't think it's terrible at all. In fact, I think it's a wonderful tool in the morning. So if you, if you are engaged in, I don't like video games. I think there are, Massive waste of time, but now we're stepping outside of Doctor Winter, and this is just Chris Winter thinks. I think golf's <laughs> a waste of time too, but these are just <laughs> my opinions. They don't reflect anybody else's opinions. The like, I've always thought it'd be fun to come home when my my kids were little, you know, three, five, and seven, and tell my wife, "Oh, by the way, I've been gone all week. I'm going to go play golf all day Saturday, and see how that goes over." You just keep on keep on taking care of those kids. I put in your belly. I'm going to go play some golf. Um, but, but so I think that in terms of technology. Your your family may feel differently about video games. Maybe your kids making a bunch of money playing video games. I just think that maybe those things could be done first thing in the morning. You know, so hey, look if you can get up and get your breakfast, you know, you have about an hour before we need to take you to school. That's a great time to play video games. The light and the excitement might actually serve to kind of wake somebody up. And if you did it every morning, it kind of serves as this what we call zeitgeber, a little time cue for a circadian rhythm. Every morning. We play this game where we shoot people and take their belongings every morning from 7 to 730. You know, that can be a great way for your brain to understand, oh, this is the beginning of the day, you know, so and it might be a nice way to kind of reward a child for actually getting up, getting dressed. That was always a big thing in our family, like the dressing, like, oh, no, you know, you've worn <laughs> that outfit for the last three days. You're not wearing it for a four-day great. you know, so Pick out the outfit the night before. That's my little parental, parental <laughs> agree on it. It's like a little treatise. Okay, we it's all clean and we've agreed we're gonna wear this tomorrow. So we're not gonna fight about, you know, whatever. Um, so, I, but, but the light in the evening is tough. And that's really where the pandemic has been a struggle is that now we've really integrated your child's computer into the school. So now, we don't have that separation of church and state, you know. The, the Nintendo GameCube, whatever, and then Catcher in the Rye has now become the same. Oh no, no, I have to plug in the the Nintendo because my <laughs> Catcher in the Rye is on there. I'm that I'm actually playing Catcher in the Rye right now. I'm doing really well. It's a it's a whole thing. Like uh, really, like so. That's the other thing too. Is kids know this stuff so much more than we do. So like. I'd probably believe that there is some video game out there about catcher and the rye. They <laughs> yeah, got go to go and rye and catch as many catchers as you can catch. You know, like, whatever, okay. So, then, so before we could always say, okay, computer time, game time is over, time to do your schoolwork. And that's really tough now, um, especially if your kid is operating somewhere outside of your view. He's up in his room doing his homework. Is he? You know, because when I walk up, he hears me come to the stairs. I'm sure he can just push a button and go right to some spreadsheet with the <laughs> parabola <laughs> on it. You know, and then as soon as I walk out, I push the button, goes right back to whatever he's doing. So I think those are really problematic. Not to mention the fact that you know, game makers have freely admitted that they create games that create dopamine in your kid.
1: Yes, so, I I'm loved how you drug. talked about that. Yeah, yeah, and how so, yeah, yeah talk so, about dopamine how that keeps you up.
0: Yeah. So dopamine, so neurotransmitters in our brain have different effects based upon where they're acting in the brain. So dopamine is the chemical that's lost in individuals who have Parkinson's disease. So if you think about somebody with Parkinson's, they kind of shuffle around, have a very loss of expression in their face. That's loss of dopamine. But other things that go along with it too, two, dopamine is, the, is a source of addiction and pleasure. So when we do something we like hang out with friends, buy new shoes or a handbag, you know, do drugs, it floods our brain with dopamine, which makes us want to do that thing again. But dopamine is also instrumental in wakefulness. So without dopamine, we feel sleepy. When you have a lot of dopamine, you feel more awake. So there's a natural rise and fall of dopamine during the day. So obviously as a child or an adult is moving towards bedtime, we want that dopamine level to drop. So the last thing we want to do is watch an episode of Nine Perfect Strangers and it end on a cliffhanger. Oh my gosh, that was crazy. You know what they're doing in that show. And then (laughs) you're supposed to turn the TV off and go to bed you know, thank God some places actually make you wait a week for the next episode when they release the entire season of this exciting show, there is a feeling of, oh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to watch the beginning of the next episode. Cause I got to figure out if they get all the little handmaids out of Gideon or whatever's happening in the show you're watching. I've got to know, um, you know, and so, so it's, it's not only creating an addiction for that technology, But even if you're good and you say, no, I'm going to figure out what's going on in that show next week and turn it off, and then you go to bed, you've been seeing light, which makes you feel more awake. You're stressed out about the content of what you were just watching. It's created this dopamine surge. So it becomes very difficult sometimes for kids to fall asleep. Um, And the content of what they're doing is all dopamine. I mean, that's all it is. And so they're banking on that dopamine when making the kid want to engage even more with it. And also, um, you know, it's going to affect their ability to, to to sleep, even if they make the right choice. And so what happens is they're sitting there and they're 30 minutes in and they're like, oh, I can't sleep. I guess I'll watch another episode of Friends, you know, because so you go right back to the technology. I had I had a football player tell me one time, I know I'm not supposed to be on my phone at night. So I actually put it in a drawer. And he said, <laughs> I'll often find it in my hand because I can't really tell you how it got there. And he was being totally serious. Like that's the kind of thing that drug users will say that they're using, but they don't even really know where the drug came from. It just happened to be there and they're using it. So we have to be very careful with these things. They're very powerful um, in the way they kind of capture kids.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we're about to wind up. So can you tell our audience one of the most interesting places you've ever slept (laughs)
0: <laughs> so so we, yeah, we were talking about this. So probably on the side of a mountain, um, I, I wanted to write an article about fear and sleep. And you can find it. It's posted on Huffington Post. It's like called Sleeping Around. Uh, sleeping Around, Side of the Mountain, Winter, if you type those keywords in, I'm sure it'll pop up. Um, so I found a guy who actually took me to Seneca Rocks, West Virginia. We climbed up, built a portal edge, and I slept there one night. Um, I've done an ice cave, which was terrifying and, and fun and strangely warm. Um, and then I wanted to sleep in a haunted house because I work with a bunch of NBA teams and they'll often say certain hotels are haunted. So I slept in a hotel in Oklahoma City called the Skurvin Hotel, which looks like it's right out of the Great Gatsby era. <laughs> Um, so I slept there, but then I also wanted, it wasn't that creepy. I thought it was really beautiful, but I also slept in the Awani up in Yosemite, which is the, the interior model of the shining, which is one of my favorite movies. And, and so when you're in there, it's like the elevators where all the blood are coming out. It's like right there. And it looks like you're in that same hotel. Um, so I slept in a truly haunted place, (laughs) one that wasn't haunted, but looks like it should have been. Um, so those are probably the most interesting places I've (laughs) slated.
1: That's great. So, uh, so your book is out. Is it on Amazon?
0: It is. Um, yeah, the rested child, you can buy it on Amazon, a Kindle, uh, audible. If you really like the sound of my voice, (laughs) I can read it to you for 14 hours or whatever it turned out to be. So yes. And all the platforms you shouldn't be too hard to find.
1: Okay. And if people wanted to contact
0: you, how could they contact you? Yeah, so I've got a website. It's wchriswinner.com. Um, and then I'm on social media at sports Sleep doc S P R T S L E E P D O C on Instagram and Twitter. Um, so you can find me there.
1: Perfect. Well, this has been so helpful. And I know the moms and the parents listening are going to get a lot out of this. So thank you so much. And there's a lot more in that book that would be really worth your while to get.
0: Thank you so much, Colleen. I really appreciate your time and your expertise.
1: You're welcome. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and give Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast a five-star review. This makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my best-selling and award-winning book, Dial Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, A Guide for Mothers Everywhere, you can find that and order it online at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And you can always find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com, two L's and two E's.